The Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi then, welcome to episode 97 of the Restless Midlifer podcast. We're nearly approaching episode 100, which brings me to really give you a flavour of what I'm hoping to do with episode 100. Um, I've looked past, back at past guests and asked the majority of them, apart from perhaps the ones in the last week or so that are appearing or that are coming up, to provide, um, if they would, a short bit of food for thought, a tip, something rele- relevant to their work, but also that's relevant to you as a listener or viewer. So I'm looking forward to capturing them. I'm already starting to get them coming in thick and fast, so I'm looking forward to editing them into a full episode for episode 100 in celebration for the fact that we've got to 100. I never thought I'd make it that far, and um, I thought I might run out with, of ideas for content, guests, that kind of thing, but not still here, still coming thick and fast. So looking forward to that one. Um, so a couple of things. In this, inter- in this podcast, I've got a great interview with a friend of mine, Craig McGough. Now, Craig is a fellow CrossFitter. Don't worry, we don't talk about CrossFit too much. Um, uh, met him at CrossFit Taylor Training, the uh, place that I, I train at. And Craig is um, hes on the younger side of midlife. But as I often say, it's midlife, that midlife feeling of, is this it, that I need to make some changes, isn't always about an age thing. It's often about that question that can arise at any age, let's be right. And Craig has a great story to, and he shares some great experiences about his own journey through some significant changes in terms of work, um, health, uh, get, you know, giving up alcohol, those kinds of things, which I think are really relevant and very useful to explore. And he's a great communicator and um, has some real insights and wisdom about him. Um, so I uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. It's a great one. And uh, he shares some, some pretty, pretty intimate stuff and some good stuff. So hopefully you'll get a lot out of that. So um, in relation to my food for thought this week, what's been on my mind, I guess, is the idea of messy progress is still progress and really that's what I want to sort of touch on now is to give you some food for thought around that. Now for many of us I think we're conditioned that when we do something when we embark on a particular path a goal uh, I don't know a job application a job some project whatever it is that it needs to be absolutely tip top perfect and that it needs to go according to plan. But here's the reality. Nothing goes according to plan. Now, you know, if I was undergoing brain surgery, I'd pretty much want it to be perfect or as near as damn it. Obviously, I'd want it to go according to plan. But in those, except put it parking those sort of rare instances, what we're talking about here is the messiness of life and how the messiness of life doesn't really work with perfectionism or those incredibly high standards where, you know, we try to bend the world to our standards and our will when in reality life is life life is messy it never goes according to plan i don't i don't think i've met anybody whose life has gone according to plan um in the short medium or long term and that really is the foundation for this because if we're talking about progress real progress and progress that doesn't burn you out in the process we're talking about getting okay and comfortable with messy and making progress in the messy and be allowing it to be messy, allowing it there to be faults, allowing things to go off track, allowing things to happen that divert you, distract you, uh, defeat you in a moment or, or, or for a day or so, whatever. We need to accept that that's life. And one of the phrases I like to use is permission to be human. We need to remember we are human beings and the world is full of human beings and creatures and things that are just beautiful and wonderful, but imperfect, and have their own clocks, agendas, or whatever. It doesn't go according to plan. So that's the first part. Because if we can just if we can just grasp that as a concept, that in itself is a is a is a big step forward. It doesn't mean the job's done that it's not sorted. Because for many of you, and I'm a recovering perfectionist, I often joke about it, but I mean it seriously. Because as a recovering perfectionist, I still have to remind myself of exactly what I've just said in the last few minutes. I still have to come and bring myself to the point of, come on, Dave, messy progress is better than no progress or trying to achieve something perfect and getting nowhere. I still have to achieve, uh, remind myself that better, not perfect. 
it's a work in progress and it's what it does to us when we are in the thick of the messiness and what can yield in terms of our self-cabotage as you call it the self-sabotage the the things that we do and say to ourselves when we make a mistake when we miss something miss a meal have a bad meal miss a training session um aren't quite who we want to be in a moment when we show up we show up as the grumpy this or we didn't stand up for that or whatever permission to be human if we can kind of recognize it that's always going to be a work in progress and it does get easier but it's never really the job complete in my experience and for many people that i've worked with and spoken to over the years i don't think anybody would class themselves as that job sorted you know job's done that's it so having said that what do we do we have to be in the messiness. We have to be in the moment and learn to get a little bit more comfortable. We don't have to get absolutely relaxed and comfortable and happy with it, but just start to get practiced at being a little bit more settled and comfortable with it. And in terms of keeping on track with our goals, accepting that we'll miss this, go off track with that, set back there, something will happen. All of those things are going to happen. If we accept that, then what we need to do is to build in touch points and have things in our toolkit, for want of a better phrase, that can help us come back to what am I trying to achieve, what direction am I trying to go, and how do I get back on track as soon as I can. And that's the key. So I've talked over the last few weeks about things like opening and closing ceremonies, you know, having something in the morning when you prime yourself for your day, having something in the evening, 10 minutes where you prime yourself for the night, the wind down, you dump the day's stuff and you focus on, right, okay, this is what I'm going to achieve tomorrow. Those opening and closing ceremonies are really powerful moments to touch base with that tendency to be perfect, perfectionistic thing, and to check in on how are you doing with the messiness. Have you drifted? Have you gone off track? And to bring yourself back on track. So that's one thing. The other thing is to build in some touch points during your day. Um, whenever you are you know, feeling a bit like your head's spinning, you've lost track, you don't know where you're at, you've missed this, you catch yourself beating yourself up. In those moments, take that as a, a sign to have a touch point, a catch yourself on, as my Irish cousins would say, where you just say, right, hang on, where am I at? What has happened? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to beat myself up here, but let's park that. A mistake's happened, a delay has happened, something unexpected and out of my control has happened, whatever it is. Let's get back to what is the next thing. So those touch points in your day can be useful. The in, in effect, the setback, the failure perceived, the thing, the delay, the whatever, is the signal to have that touch point. And what I mean by touch point is you catch that, you catch it, you take a moment to sit down and go, right, that's just happened. It's not ideal. I wouldn't have chosen it. I'm disappointed myself. Whatever you want to say, park the, the cruelty. And then kind of say, right, okay, use that as a moment to have that five minutes ago. Right, so what am I still trying to achieve? Where am I going? What has gone off track? And what do I need to bring myself back on track? And to bring that down to the sprout-sized moment, the sprout-sized action or thing that you need to do next. Because what we often do when we have a delay, setback, a, f a failure, so-called, whatever, is we start to think about how we've just ruined the whole thing. We're, we've totally blown it. I've blown it. I'll never get to my goal because this is typical of me, whatever or it's typical of life, or they always, whatever. Bring it back to, okay, look, the direction of travel is still there. That hasn't changed. And I still want to go there. What can I do that brings me back onto the rough direction of travel now? What's the next thing? So that is then to think about, well, rather than writing off today, because it's a bad food day, because of what I've just eaten, or the week, or the weekend, or, you know, I'll sack off training and, and for the next few days until Monday, Whatever that is, we come back to, right, what's the next thing I need to do? What can I do now? What can I do in the next hour, today, the next meal, the next training session? When is the next opportunity for me to get myself back on track? And that is to tackle that self-cabotage with some positive action, some positive talk, some self-talk that is positive, but practical. Practical and based in these are the things I'm going to do next because deciding what you're going to do and, and committing to action is a great way to regain the sense of control over the self-cabotage, over the, the things you're saying to yourself about failure, about delay, whatever, because we need to recognize that effectively there are probably two voices in our head and, you know, in, in a, I'm oversimplifying here, but you know, that there's that narrative of self-cabotage, but there's also the potential of the more rational, calm, caring you that can say hang on a second i get where you're coming from you yeah it's a mistake it's maybe another mistake or another delay i've been let down by sisters whatever okay i get that let's see what i can learn from it but let's get back to the practical
Let's get back to what next and stick with that. And that's where those touch points come in. Your opening and closing ceremonies, you have them through the day if you wish, but in particular, your touch points after or at the point of a setback or a delay or an unexpected whatever. Those are where you start to get more comfortable with the messy, but more importantly, make progress in the messy because progress is better than perfect. And progress in the messy will trump over time anything that you are trying to achieve in perfection because perfection is going to either lead to inaction or burnout. Progress in the messy is more likely to lead to movement forward, not burning and grinding yourself down and actually getting to the goal. So that's my food for thought for you this week. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed that. Hope you enjoy the interview with Craig coming up. Uh, let me know your thoughts at Dave at RestlessMidlifer.com and on with the interview. Well, hi Craig, it's great to have you along and i um, delighted to have this interview. We've, we've known each other for a little bit uh, through mm. the CrossFit Taylor training. No doubt we'll mention a bit of CrossFit. Um, but, we're going to uh, have to, aren't we? Of course we are. But um, what, uh, what I want to do is just dive into um, your experiences and your story around you know, you're, you're shifting in terms of career, but also your health mm-hmm. changes and whatever that you made, because I think that's yeah. really relevant and interesting. So anyway, do you want to say hi to the audience and, and tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Dave. So, um, so yeah, my name is Craig McGough. Um, I uh, currently work-wise work as a, as a pre-sales consultant uh, within the Microsoft Dynamics space, which um, some people might be familiar with, they, they might not, I guess in a nutshell. Um, my responsibility is when we're selling projects, we work primarily in the financial services industry, so I deal with you know large banks, insurance providers, wealth management firms, that sort of thing. Um, no one likes being sold to, right? So my job is to is to go in and be the person who effectively acts as the conduit between our technical staff, those that are going to deliver the projects, um, and the customer, just making sure that we understand what they want to achieve as a business, and we also make sure we deliver the right thing. So it's very much that kind of uh, jazz hands, front and center delivering demonstrations, understanding business requirements and making them sound exciting. Um, so yeah, a lot of performance, if you like, within the IT world uh, outside of that. So I'm, I'm sort of 34, so I'm you know, on, the, on the younger end of, uh, of midlife probably, um, but I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. Uh, those two things obviously drive me massively. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, certainly for your audience and I think from what I've listened to a lot, hopefully people get out of it. I'm a, I'm a relatively late career changer, which I know we're going to discuss. Um, so what I'm doing now wasn't what I was doing a few years ago. Um, and then, yeah, CrossFit and football are my two my two big passions. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to, yeah, because you do have your own podcast. What, do you want to give a shout out for it? Just so... Yeah, of course. So it's uh, it's Barca talk, and it probably doesn't take too much working out to understand what we what we discussed there. Um, but it's uh, um, it's an English speaking football club Barcelona podcast. Um, and if I'm honest, uh, I wasn't the founder of the podcast. I kind of got roped in as a as a willing participant, and then loved it. For me, um, one of my big challenges is as I've grown up a little bit and got more responsibility, and you know, it seems like the the more responsibility you get, the less time you have to do. With, some of the things you want to in the past. And so I used it as a, as a means of staying in contact with one of my main hobbies. I, I found it very easy to start missing games. Um, so it's very hard to go on the podcast and discuss a game you've not seen. Um, so yeah, I use the podcast as a, as a means of keeping me in contact with, with, with Barca really. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think that's a good point that we'll put more that pick up on because I know you said the younger end of midlife and um, I think that's fair. Um, I, my kind of, I suppose some would call it a so-called midlife crisis, but I, I don't think about it as a crisis. But my sort of change and shift inside me happened around that 30, 33, 34 mark. So I yeah. always like that younger end. It's not, I even think, and I, I said this before on the podcast, it's not an age thing per se. It's a state of mind. It's that place you get to where you think, hang on, is this it? And I'm working hard. Yeah. But it's not quite ticking all the boxes or fulfilling that need. Um, so that's kind of why I'm, you know, particularly interested because I think it can affect anybody at any age. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you, want, do you want to tell us then a bit about um that shift? Because you, you obviously your family man, you've got you've got kids. Was that the case? I guess it was a couple of years ago. That was the case when you were making this shift in terms mm-hmm. of career. So what was the what was behind all of that? Yeah, so I guess I'm fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. I now see it as a as a as a major positive. Um Although at the time I probably didn't realize it was. So I, I had a big trigger event effectively. I had two trigger events, in fact. Um, so the first one, my my dad and my father-in-law both died within six weeks of each six weeks of each other. Um a rough period. And so what's really interesting with with hindsight is that 
my relationship with my dad was a pretty terrible one if i'm being honest um he was he was an alcoholic he was a narcissist he was um formerly involved in some 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 pretty ropey things across in the north of ireland and stuff like that so he was a um he wasn't uh he wasn't a figurehead or a hero like some people have my father-in-law on the other hand was the dad i never had in 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 all honesty i remember you know when i try and explain this to people i'm like you know i didn't shed a single tear at my father's funeral yeah i was inconsolable at my father-in-law's he was a gentleman uh he was hard as nails yet the nicest man i'd ever met so he was someone that i was able to respect in all of my in all of my views of life he was someone that was just that he was a great family man anyway um and what I found during that time was that I started thinking about legacy a lot. And I'd never really thought about my legacy. I was live, living very much in the present, um, very much about if I'm, all, you know, I was living paycheck to paycheck, interaction to interaction, you know, job to job. That's kind of where I was. And I started thinking about legacy. And Jacob would have been, my, my son Jacob would have been uh, two at the time, three, two or three. And I remember thinking, okay, so I've just delivered this eulogy for my dad's. And I read it back now and I'm actually pretty, it's not my finest hour. Let's put it that way. I basically used it as catharsis and I basically got a lot of things off my chest. And one of my opening lines was a lot of people will tell me that me and my dad were very similar. I'm, I am not, I will never be the man he was, which in hindsight, you know, there's probably nicer things that you could say about someone, but I meant it. And I, st I still do. I, I, the sentiment I agree with. And yet at my father's one, at my father-in-law's, I was thinking the, the words that were said about him was irreplaceable uh legend you know these platitudes that might not mean anything in, to many people but i started thinking right okay so if i die tomorrow memento mori and all that stuff i quite like my stoic uh, philosophy memento mori if i die if i die tomorrow because it will happen at some point what will my son say about me and it's only it's this is only centered around jacob as much as i'm an incredibly fortunate happily married man and you know my family is everything to me it was all about jacob if i die tomorrow what will jacob say about me and at the time i was like well if i'm being honest he will say funny you know, I, we, we have a lot of laughs together. Can't handle his drink. I mean, he would have been too young to have assessed that. But if, you know, I was like, well, if we move this, if we basically pick ourselves up and move us 10 years up, for, oh, we're doing the same thing. Can't handle his drink, a liability when he's drunk. Um, someone who never really held down a job that was worth the intellect that he carried. Used to get told a lot, like, can't believe you're doing this. You know, I was, a you know, someone who flew through school and then just fell into relatively dead end jobs um a bit flighty and anyway not a lot of what i said uh, were things that i was really proud of um he wouldn't have said any of the things that i would said about my father but he wouldn't have said any much of much of what i wanted him to say and so i said right let's reassess this what's the problem and then i kind of got it into other areas of my life and i was like i'm, I'm always complaining about being skint um why is that i'm always complaining about being tired why is that i'm always complaining about this and that and the other and i'm always miserable and why is that happening and i broke it all down and i realized there was two main drivers to, to to this number one drank too much couldn't handle it wasn't very good at it i always say to people because I, I get asked a lot and i think as a society we're getting better but you know drinking is woven into the fabric of this country and i think it's 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 moving forwards in the right direction but it's like oh why don't you drink no one asks why you do drink no one asks why you don't drink yeah. and so and I always say to people when they ask me, I don't drink, I'm just, I'm just not very good at it. And I was never flirting with alcoholism or anything like that. I just wasn't very good at it. I can't, I can't swim, so I don't go into a pool. But I wasn't very good at drinking. I would frequent pubs three times a week. And it would make me make terrible decisions financially. It would, you know, my, my wife is incredible. And we never really got too far into the argument stage of it. But, you know, what time will we be home? 10. And then you're rolling at half three. You have a row. And then, you know, well, it's not my fault. Well, well oh, it is actually. And so I realized a lot of my problems were related to drinking. And then from the financial perspective, I wasn't happy at work. I wasn't paid well at work. And that off, that actually exacerbated some of my drinking. And so I just made a, a call there and then. It was Christmas Eve. And I just made a call. And I said, right, I've got a can in my hand. I'm going to finish this can. And I am never drinking again. And I'd said it about six weeks earlier. I'd gone to the Irish Centre in Newcastle. Had a horrendous, if I look back now, like it makes me feel physically sick. Had a horrendous session. It was great at the time. Um, and I said, never again. And everyone said, oh, okay, you've said that loads of times. And then I had this, this one occasion, I had this can and I said, right, in the morning, I knew I was driving for, for Christmas. I was driving the family to, to family. So I, I knew I wasn't drinking Christmas day. I said, that's it, never again. I'd get to my birthday. So the never again changed very quickly. And it went from never again to three months time. 
but I was like, we'll see if I can do three months. And then in three months, I said, this has made me an infinitely different person. So I stopped drinking. And I also made a, a career plan and said, I don't like what I'm doing. I was in sales, hated it. Was always personable enough that people would buy from me. Rel I mean, you know, relatively charismatic. That's, that's a bit arrogant when you say that, but you know, someone that doesn't mind hogging the limelight. If there's if there's a stage to be had, I'll get myself on it. Um, so I would do well enough to never get fired, but not well enough to justify how much I disliked it. Um, and so I said, I need to change career. Knew what I wanted to do. Presented that to to my my boss at the time, and said, if you don't laugh me out the room, I'm going to go for this. And he was like. I think it's going to be very difficult for you, but I think it's doable. It's going to take you a long time. And then made the career change and just said, okay, from now on, I'm going to live every single day of my life thinking, what would Jacob say about me if I'm dead? And despite the fact that I'm in a very different place now, still the one thing that drives me every day, what would be my legacy if I died tomorrow? What would Jacob say about me? Mm. Very powerful. And um, there's a lot that you brought up in terms of my my own experiences and thinking the one thing about that idea of the eulogy is i think it's a powerful one and i, I did a podcast episode a good few episodes ago now are you building a resume you know a resume or a eulogy and i think that it's a it's a it, when you think about it it's a significant shift to think about the eulogy yeah because you're right and and what resonated there with me is um i I had a similar uh, situation with my dad in, in that, you know, I, I see him now as a, he was a, a, a lost soul, younger, youngest brother of a group of um, a big family, Irish family. Mm -hmm. um, drinking was part of the fabric, as you say, um, and just it got a hold of him. And I yeah. think it was probably depressive generally, you know, tendency towards depression. Mm -hmm. uh, and the medication was alcohol um, and, you know, not a great relationship with him. Um, and he passed away, hadn't drunk himself you know silly for a lot of years unfortunately yeah. um, and again it was that it was the lack of relationship that I felt sad about and I remember having a walk along with my son Thomas once uh, when he, he was probably about seven eight well this was years ago walking the dog and he was asking about granddad because he'd never met him they've never met him um, just because he lived down the country and um, he asked you know about him and I told him you know I don't see him blah 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 and, and I remember walking along and he said uh I don't know how you can do that, Dad, because you're my best friend. And it was one of those moments where I went, oh, oh you know. And, that, and it was one of those moments where you you suddenly realise, you know what, I'm going to be the dad that I, to him, that I needed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's massive. I remember one of the things that really changed my perception of life, and this is, this is a few years before this kind of big career change. I didn't even have kids at the time. And uh, so I met my, my now wife through her brother, um, which is probably safer ways of, of meeting a wife right um but john was it was a good friend of mine and I, and I worked in a bar at the time I worked in the head of steam in town which used to be a great place to go i think it's changed like you know um and i remember so this is before i even knew kelly before we were married before we were we were dating or anything like that and i remember meeting kelly's dad my father-in-law that i'm talking about now so again he was massive big 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 man john is six three six four or something two big uh, two big blokes and uh, Kelly's dad walked in the pub and John went over and gave him a cuddle and a kiss and I remember thinking wow that's different that's yeah. really and, and it, it confused me because I'd seen it before but this was these were two quote-unquote manly men that oh. we're talking about here and I thought wow the fact that you're at a stage of life where that's how you greet each other it just blew me away that fathers <laughs> and sons could could be like that when they were outwardly so very kind of masculine. Mm. And I'm, it, it probably speaks to a lot of my prejudices at the time, I'm guessing, I mean, going back a little while here, I was relatively young, but I remember thinking, right, okay, so it's not just the kind of molly cuddled silver spooners that can have this relationship with parents where the parents have paid them through uni, given them everything. And it's probably a sense of guilty gratitude that's going on here. These are people who just genuinely really care for each other. And I remember thinking that's that's incredible, and I now look at it with how I am with Jacob, and I think no, that's normality. <laughs> but you're in such an abnormal situation from your childhood that that, that it seemed abnormal. Like mm. to your point there about being being, um, you know, oh, you're my best friend. Like I'd be heartbroken if I think Jacob didn't see that. Whereas that was the furthest thing from my mind with my dad. He was an at best he was an inconvenience. If I'm being really generous to him, it was an inconvenience. 
and and so I think that was that was a real powerful moment for me. And it's just ironic that it ended up being my my family further down the line that caused this shift in me. But I remember just thinking that's aspirational. Yeah. Whereas that should be the that should be the baseline, surely. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, I mean, we have moved on a lot in terms of the culture that, I mean, they came from the different generations had different ways, but within that, there would have been variation. I've known yeah. that across the brothers, et cetera. Um, and I like now look back and think, you know, what I, I, I can understand it with a bit more of a, a compassionate view than I did back then. Um, and it has spurred me on to do what I can, by no means perfect. But like you, you kind of, you have that seed always there thinking, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm aspiring to. And you, you mentioned there about um, you know aspiring to to that relationship mm. based on your your father-in-law, who was more of a father, etc. Um, I wonder. This is something I think is interesting for any of us who are listening, mums, dads, whoever you know who are listening uh, as parents. But what kind of parents did they have? What was the influence, and what can you take from it? Because I, I don't know about you, but I found myself replacing um, the father figure role with other people. And people who were still in my life, and, and one particular person who sadly passed away a few years ago, but there were really important people in my life, and are really important people in my life, that took on the role of dad. Mm. Perhaps not in the close, close, close intimate way that I would try to be with Thomas and, and my, you know, Hannah and Rosie, but I wonder if there's some drive that we need to do that and find that that role in our lives, but not just that, but, you know, parental kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's not something that I ever thought I was looking for. But then if I if I was to analyze it in terms of what happened when when, when Johnny came into my life, I, I certainly clung to it. I certainly clung to it. You know, I remember watching. Um, so I'm, I'm big into my boxing as well. I remember watching Mayweather Pacquiao, which obviously hyped as one of the biggest fights of many generations and became a little bit boring. If we're being really honest, it definitely underwhelmed. Um, but I remember at the time I was watching that and it was with it was with Johnny. It was Jacob was. I mean, he can't have been more than, you know, I could obviously Google this and get the exact day, but he can't have been more than six months old. He was definitely very much a baby. Um, I remember, I remember being like giddy almost that I was watching the boxing with him. And I remember, and I remember thinking, because this is what I wanted to do when I was fourteen, right? This is what I wanted to do when I was thirteen. I wanted to stay up and watch the late for stay up. It would have been like WrestleMania. I wanted to stay up and watch WrestleMania when my dad. But my dad was a bit of an arse. Like I didn't want to spend time in his company. Yeah. And so the yeah. fact that it was three generations, it became a little bit more special, granted. But I remember just, you know, having chats with him, being being nostalgic about plus I, I wasn't brought up in in, in Gate I live in Gateshead. I wasn't brought up in, in the in um Gateshead or, or Newcastle, I was brought up in Redcar. So we're not talking a million miles away. But I remember having conversations with him about his nostalgia, about places I didn't even know, but I just wanted to be having those nostalgic chats with him. I remember we were, we were moving some furniture in a van with him and being like, this is what I wanted as a kid. So I didn't realise when I was going through my childhood and adolescent years that I needed it. But certainly to your point, when I found it, God, I clung to that. And you know, my mother-in-law is incredible. I don't want to go through this without, without explaining my mother-in-law. She's, she's a wonderful human being. But um, you know, certainly from that male perspective... It, yeah, like if I'm being hypercritical of, um, sorry, if I'm critiquing my, not hypercritical, if I'm critiquing to a, a real micro extent, my relationship, yeah, I, I definitely magnetise towards that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th I, it's just an interesting aside, really, I think, for this to think about the, the, the impact and what you take away and where you find those roles, because some people don't find those roles, mm -hmm. don't you? And my, my experience, I guess, in the police policing side and this is generalizing but a lot of the times you could tell when young young juveniles youths were brought into custody for example you know whether it's shoplifting or whatever you could often tell this is anecdotal but you could often tell have an idea of who was coming back based yeah, on how yeah, parents yeah. or the the parent or absence of a parent what was in that you know when they turned up and how they were with their, their mm -hmm. kid um so there's something powerful and important about loving relationships and having that demonstrate role model because I think this is one of the things for for us as you know in the as we grow and become parents ourselves we we learn we adapt we're conditioned and unless we change or have other influences we don't know any better really do yeah. we I also yeah it, it, 100% and I, me and my wife had this conversation a lot about breaking the cycle mm. you know and we'll discuss things like you know you you'll be reading the papers and there'll be someone you know the the the, the abused has become the abuser or the 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 um yeah, you know, generational domestic violence and stuff like that. And I and I, I think I'm a very self-aware. I think I'm also relatively 
rational as a person. I think certainly with my career, I have to listen, under, I have to listen, understand and explain and articulate. You know, my, my degree was in law. So, for example, you know, listening to an argument, mitigating for uh, mitigating for it, even if you don't believe it, is something that I, I think I'm quite good at. It. But I really struggle with the break in the cycle argument, right? Because it's a, it's a blind spot for me because I just think if you've experienced that, how can you do it again? And I know there's a, a raft of psychoanalysis that would tell me why that's not quite as simple as that, right? And I get it. But I think, you know, the, the one weakness that I definitely know I have, there's many that I probably have, but the one that I absolutely 100% fundamentally know I have is that I do not buy the the break in the cycle argument that why you wouldn't want to do that why would you watch your parents smoke and drink themselves to death and still continue to smoke and drink i don't understand it why would you watch your father beat your mother or vice versa and then go and do that to your partner i don't understand it and i think it, it i find it bizarre how people can't break the cycle I, I really struggle with it the other thing i was just going to say there sorry so i don't forget while we were talking is when you're on about the relationships and stuff Again, if I go back and retrospectively analyze what made me make this big change, because it was it's the biggest change in life I will hopefully ever have to make. I basically lost my social circle, had to form entirely new habits and stuff. But one of the biggest things for me, as well as the Jacob legacy thing, and it kind of fed into this conversation, was so my my father-in-law was very unwell. He was, you know, he was obviously not going to be um are we I've, you can still hear me all right yeah, yeah, yeah. very dark yeah cool. so he, he was he was very unwell um and had cancer and he he died a lot quicker than we expected but he, he wasn't a well man for a little while um and he'd said to my mother-in-law you know I, I know kelly will be all right because because she's got craig and i remember thinking is that true though does she have the craig that you want her to have ergo do am i the craig that i want to be and i remember thinking he had, you know, you've got so much faith in me as a person, yet I'm not happy with who I am. So if you think this is okay, imagine how good I could be if I make these changes. You know, and he would have chats with me and, you know, he he would say, oh, come on, son, you can do a bit better than this. You know, and, it, and, and I wanted to please him. So whereas my dad, I was, I always thought I was a people pleaser. And I think if you, if you ever did kind of personality test on me, I would come out as a bit of a people pleaser. I was actually a people placator in, 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 in reality. I was, I was, how can I keep the peace at all costs? Whereas with, with, with my father-in-law, I was a people pleaser. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to yeah. do those kind of paternal instinct things that I was, kind of, I was kind of yearning for. So rather than just maintain the status quo of hopefully no violence in the house, hopefully no drinking, hopefully an easy night, hopefully a night's sleep. I was like, no, I want to make you proud. And so that relationship that was formed became a very interesting one for me because it, I became very subservient to that relationship, but I, I loved that fact. Mm. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to please him. There was, you know, I wasn't really that bothered about what came down the other way, as long as it was like a bit of pride and a bit of happiness and a bit of love and a bit of crack. Yeah. So it was very, very interesting, very interesting for me to watch that play out. Even at the time I knew it was making changes in me. I just didn't realize how powerful they were until sadly I wasn't here to say thank you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think cool. just sort of picking up on that, you know, why people perhaps get trapped and locked in. It's it's probably beyond my pay grade, but I I saw it a lot. And I remember somebody that I used to work with. She specialised in the sort of the abuse side. Mm. She would say, um, "Abusers, um, sorry, if abusers have generally been abused, but if you've been abused, doesn't mean you become an abuser." Yeah. Did I say that the right way? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. There's a lot history behind it and that, that change, but it's not a guarantee and it's not dictated. Yeah. It's what happens. And I, I often have this imagination image of, you know, when you drop the pennies down the, the, the slot and there's nails mm. and they bounce off and they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 pence win or pound win or something. I, want, I often think that life's a bit like that. Where you get dropped in the slot is, you know, you could be wealthy, you could be poor, you, you know, whatever different circumstances you've still got a lot of bouncing around the nails it depends yeah. on a lot of things that hit um but the odds perhaps are a little bit more stacked against you with certain circumstances it's a bit harder i guess in some ways but yeah. not guaranteed and i think that's the, the key thing and certainly i don't work in that area i work with you know supporting people who are just looking at just looking at behavior things that's got them into a place where they're feeling like i need to make some change i just need a bit of help yeah and it is very much about helping them to find that that strength in themselves and those things mm -hmm. right i think it's not that there, there are there are things but we do rely on events and people that sometimes come in and out of our lives i mean it would be a very lonely life and god knows where i'd be if it wasn't for other people you know yeah. in terms of those things positive and negative 
So yeah, I think that's a, a good point. So just just think thinking about that because I think this is the for me this is the part of the thing about the midlife. It's the midlife and beyond. It's about recognizing that actually, you know, I might be providing a, a good house, whatever for family or whatever. But what am I doing to myself? And and what message am I sending to my kids or to my family? And am I actually being present for them? So it sounds like that was a big turning point. Um, so just to drill in a couple of things. Obviously, you said about the alcohol, and I think this can be a challenge for many. You know, many people, you know, and we're, we're, you know, we're talking about that range from alcoholism, which is something where, you know, uh, professional support's needed and that kind of thing. But there is the problematic habitual drinking, I guess. Yeah. It's 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 become a health issue or a, just a life quality issue, that kind of affecting relationships. And it's breaking that. Now, you said that you made a decision, but it was kind of like you made a couple of decisions. Yeah. Uh, and it hadn't happened, etc. And I think that's typical. That often happens. Yeah. What do you think was different that that particular day? But just to clarify, because you did say you were going to never drink again, but it went to your, your next birthday. Yeah, I'm immediate, immediately changed. Yeah, and I think, you know, okay. so I, I said, right, I'm never drinking again until my birthday. Which, you know, if you break that statement down, like, you know, well, which <laughs> yeah. one is it? Yeah, which yeah. one is it? Um, and so, and I think, it, but, it, but it, probably, it probably explains why I think I was successful, to be honest, um, is that I think in the past I said, oh, I can't, I can't keep doing this or this has to stop mm. or never again. And these kind of throwaway comments that yeah. if you went to see a mortgage advisor and they said, yeah, yeah, we'll look at it. You'd be like, well, no, <laughs> no, that's not going to fly. <laughs> what is the rate? What is the term? What is my guarantee? What is my time scale? You know what I mean? It was all these throwaway comments. Oh, I'd say with a hangover, then I'd, then I'd have a takeaway at nine o'clock. Feel all right. I'd go to work Monday by Wednesday. I'd be like, oh, fancy a pint with the Champions League tonight. Um, and so it was throwaway comments. And so what I think was different was, I, first of all, I set a time scale, and I said, right, three months is doable. I thought dry January was too easy, and that's not to diminish. That's not to diminish the experience of anyone who's done dry January. Like if if you if you drink a lot, four weeks is a long time. My worry was that, you know, any of us can run a half marathon when there's another ten thousand people doing it in the Great North Run. And adrenaline sweeps you along, and the crowd sweeps you along, and everyone gets a medal and cake at the end of it. So I was like, well, dry January, loads of people are going to do that. And also I was skinned. This is obviously pre-career change. So not drinking in January was a relatively normal experience because I was broke for most of it. <laughs> so I thought, well, Jan January's January's not enough. And I, I originally I said, right, I'm not drinking again. And I was like, well, that's not going to, that's that. I can't, I, I can't guarantee that. So my birthday is the 30th of March, which is a really nice quarter. Really, you know, minus, minus the 31st, I've got a perfect quarter there. And so I said, well, I'll get to my birthday. And my actual, my initial aim was, do you know what? If this is horrible, I'll have a drink on my birthday. I'll have done three months. Everyone will pat me on the back. Life will be okay, but I don't want to keep doing this. So my aim was that it would last forever, but my target was to do three months. Yeah. And I thought January will be fine because loads of people are doing it. All I've got to get through is half of February. Then I'm more than halfway. And then I'm kind of running downhill at that point. I'll be all right. March will be fine. I'll be leading up to my birthday. And then I've got like the carrot and the stick a little bit there because I've got the, the stick will start me. The carrot will get me there in the end. So I started that. And the other big thing that I did is I verbalized that to people. So I, I'm a people pleaser, right? And so if I tell someone I'm going to do something and then don't, don't do it, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. So the promises I'd made in the past were all to myself. Now, for some people, that might be the most powerful thing they can do because surely you're the only person that matters, right? Ultimately, if you're, if you're doing what you think is right, that's okay. It doesn't work for me, really. I need, to, I need to make sure other people are on board the journey with me for a bit of accountability, a bit of a pat on the back, a bit of praise, a bit of arrogance, usual stuff. And so I said to my wife, I'm not doing it. I'm not drinking for three months. And I said, I need you to help me. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to stop drinking because... You don't have a problem with alcohol. I do. You have a problem with me and my relationship with alcohol, but you don't have a problem with alcohol. I said, but I need you to help me. Like, so as much as, and I had a similar thing with, with um, weight loss, but separate conversation. But I said, do me a favor. Don't just buy me cans because I'll drink them. Mm. Like you don't, she, my, my, my wife enjoys recreational drinking. She can handle it very well. She's the sort of person I envy because she can have one gin and she's had a gin and she's fine. I was like, I, I only drink lager. I drink cooking lager as well. I'm not into anything fancy. I drink like really cooking lager, not cooking lager. Eggs, yeah, egg, yeah, the, yeah. The Teesside accent might the Teesside accent might have spun that one. Um, so I so I was like, you. Whereas I only drink lager. Yeah. You're happy to drink gin and wine 
and vodka and cocktails that I don't drink, do me a favor. If you're buying alcohol, buy them mm. because I don't have a problem with alcohol. So I'm not going to go and just drink that because it's there. Thankfully, I'm not in that position. I don't like it. I won't drink it. But if you buy cans, I will drink them. So please don't buy them. And so doing those two things helped initially because I'd made a promise to my missus and I'd said to her, do us a favor, don't bring them in the house. I'm not going to go and buy them. I can control that part. I can control that 50%. But it's like the weight loss thing. You know, just because you're not buying the twirls doesn't mean if you see one in the fridge, you're not going to eat it. Yeah. Step one, just get rid of them, get them out the house, right? So I said that, that really helped. And then what I realized was that I just didn't miss it mm-hmm. for a while. I, I drank non-alcoholic lager uh, because I felt weird being in social settings about something in my hand. It's kind of like, you know, when people start smoking and they start chewing birals. Yeah. I never used to understand that until I stopped drinking. And then I just wanted something in my hand that wasn't a soft drink. I don't even particularly like the taste of non-alcoholic. I don't drink at all. I don't drink non-alcoholic lager now. I just don't, I just don't bother. I, I'm the I'm the one that'll go to the bar and ask for a cup of tea in a pub. Um, so for, and then for a while, I kind of did that. And that, that was a kind of a phased approach. And then I got to the point where, yeah, by by the end of March, I was like, I don't miss this. This, this, this. There's genuinely nothing in my life that is worse since I've stopped drinking. Therefore, if there's no detrimental effect and there's all of these positive effects, oh. I just won't do it again. And I've gone, uh, to me, I, I firmly believe if you can do it for three months, you can do it forever. Oh. Now, again that massively sweeping statement could be could be proven difficult if you've got things like addiction and so, but if, if you're if you're not in a medical problem with whatever you're trying to kick i think there's a big caveat there right if you're not medically disposed to what you're trying to get removed from your life if it's just something that you want to remove weight loss or bad eating or smoking or whatever i honestly think three months if you can do it for three months you can do it forever because the first six to eight weeks if you're going to fail you'll probably do it then mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it i think i, I think you're right that that shift of behavior a lot of it can start to take hold and embed in those that that first period that that significant period really um and i often i mean alcohol does factor into some of the work i do um mm. although i'm not it's not the addiction side it's just the habits isn't it and that's really what i work with eating yeah, yeah. and exercise and habits and, and mindset and all that um and I often kind of talk actually in terms of a lapse doesn't mean a relapse. And just because you might have one, sometimes let, let's be right. Sometimes somebody will have a really bad day and it's in their hand, the bottle yeah. or, what, or the food before they know it. And it's about that kindness to yourself. Cause that doesn't mean you've ruined it. it just means you've had a lapse, which is not yeah. a relapse. So it's yeah. kind of building that in, isn't it? But you've, you've, t- you've hit on a couple of things that I think is important to, to, to highlight is, and I often talk about this is take your head away, have the ultimate ambition or vision but bring your head back to something nearer term mm-hmm. feel as more manageable that you, you know, and you're not putting all, all excessive pressure on to do it. You're just putting a nice bit that motivates you. And then you're involving other people. So you, classic things like the, you know, support from other people and also your environment, design your environment out or designing these things out. If you can with yep. uh, agreements, get the twirls, even if food out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so about. true though. It's yeah. st- like, yeah. if you see it, it just removes a bad decision. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, 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 you know, to your point about those short goes that that, that's, that's precisely what I did. So my mm. big challenges with drinking was, I was like, well, get, get through my birthday, did that. But then you're straight into beer garden season, right? Now, I don't know if there's a formal name for beer garden season, but everyone knows what I mean. And I was mm. like, well, I need to get through beer garden season. <laughs> and then yeah. I, and after that, I was like, well, I've gone six months now. Can I go a year? Yeah. And then I was like, that was good can I just repeat the cycle again? And it just, I stopped. And then what, what was interesting was without me thinking about it, the time scales just dropped off. I stopped having milestones, but it wasn't that I was like, oh, well, I don't have anything to aim for. I just stopped thinking about it. And it became who I am, not what I was doing. That's a, that's an important part. And I, and I, I see that quite a lot. And I've experienced that where, you know, I want to be the kind of person who changes to, I am the person. I am. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that can happen in it, you know, I, I was never the kind of person who saved money. You know, you talk about money, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of person. And then, you know, suddenly you find yourself starting the habits, short term, medium, etc. And suddenly I am the kind of person who saves. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's important. And you're right. So those short term goals or short term milestones are kind of just near enough that you can think I can get there. I can get there. Yeah. But eventually you don't need them. And I think that's really, really powerful so brilliant yeah and i think it's it's worth reflecting on because it's it's for me it's it's getting into how when somebody is thinking 
feeling a bit hopeless or perhaps what's the point I've tried I've, I've done that I'm not drinking again hundreds of times or whatever it is whatever the goal is but there is a way and it's key the first thing is never give up yeah you know, never give up even if you're giving up on you know even if you fail fall off whatever is never give up because there's always a tweak and a change and something a person you meet an inspiration something that can just nudge you on and that's all you need isn't it yeah Brilliant. So you were talking about just in terms of the health side then, what mm. was that around the same time or, or what, what was, you know, your... Yeah, it kind of feeds into it. So I'm, I suffer from two lifelong illnesses. So I've got Hirschsprung's disease, first of all, which is, is quite rare, um, which is effectively um, the, the lower intestine just doesn't function correctly. So multiple surgeries throughout my life, spent the first 18 months in hospital, um, you know, roadside surgery, life-saving surgery all that sort of stuff um so that, that that's one though I'm, but then at 17 i got diagnosed with epilepsy right um and i eventually realized that, that, that my triggers are tight well my trigger is tiredness so my sister died last year or, or in fact uh, it will be a year on saturday that she died and uh, so my sister had really bad epilepsy so she died at 35 I'm not sure that age is accurate. That's terrible. 30 something, mid thirties, two kids, a um, couple of years older than me. Um, and her, her epilepsy was terrible, really bad. We're talking brain damage for the last few years. She wasn't able to be alone with her kids because it was just too dangerous. Um, although the kids live with her and a partner at the time and stuff like that. Um, so she was in a really bad way. She was having like 10 seizures a day. Horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And so I looked at kind of where my health was and I was like, drinking actually makes both of these conditions significantly worse because right. we all know that if we don't sleep properly, if we've had a few pints, it's, you know, you, you crash, you don't sleep, you don't feel any benefit, an atrocious idea. If I drink, it doesn't do well for my digestion. Um, it also leads to other bad decisions. So, you know, I'm unlikely to go and get two kebabs after I've had four cans of Coke Zero but I probably will after four cans of Carlin. Um, second part, I can't drink four cans of Coke Zero in a one but there we go. So I looked at both of these things and I said, hang, but this is one thing that makes both of them worse. Yeah. And I looked at my sister's condition. I looked at where she was and I thought, what would, she, what would she give if all she had to do was one thing and she'd stop having these seizures? And I was like, that's the position I'm in. If I, and it wasn't one thing, it was basically two things. I was like, if I, if I improve my sleep, mm. If I just get to bed at a reasonable time, take my medication properly, I know that I'll be okay. So I'm 11 years, 12 years out of seizure now, more, maybe more. Um, the entire duration I've been with my missus, basically, I've been without a seizure. My sister couldn't go more than a few hours without one. And I just thought, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. Like, this is so detrimental to what I'm trying to achieve in life that I can't believe I'm doing this. So I made big diet changes and, one of the, and I stopped drinking. I started getting more sleep. But stress played a big part of that. The career change was also massively important to me because it's I stopped having, you know, 3 a.m. sleep at night, thinking about work the next day. And it all it all fed into each other. A lot of this was very symbiotic. You know, I, it was almost like, do you know when you do a Sudoku and all you need to do is get that one six and then everything else, you're like, ah, well, that has to be a three. Then that must be a four. And then the other four has to go there. I kind of, in, in one period of time, Managed to fill in a lot of those Sudoku boxes in, and then the rest of it just became so obvious what I needed to do. But the health was a big part of that as well. And again, it's a, you know if we go back to the legacy thing, you know what do you remember of your dad? Oh yeah, he was he's always ill and stressed and tired. That's not good for anyone. And I my one of my worst fears is that Jacob ever sees me have a seizure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, that, that's again, it's it's it it, it shows how. Um, one thing can lead to another, but it's key. It's the key motivations that are underneath it. Right? And I often find this is the case um, that it's when I think about myself, but also, you know, a lot of people talk to clients, et cetera, that, that, that they come with a, there's a particular turning point or a particular, I'm sick of this or I've had enough of that. And I just want to, and behind that is something when we, when we sort of unwrap it, there's something really powerful there. Um, as a motivator and how do we shift that so that it's not baggage but an opportunity it's something to, to sort of shift us in the right direction yeah um and it sounds like there as you said the Sudoku is a good good image isn't it because it's one thing that led to another and that yeah. happens so I found that happens so many times that you can just find that one thing yeah make that one thing and commit to it 
other things then start to happen. You get more energy, sleep better. Then you make a meditation. Then you decide to do that, and then you'll commit to this, and it just snowballs. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, brilliant. So you, so obviously you're a few years down the line in terms of this. Mm. Um, I mean, brilliant. The eleven years without seizure, and and how long is it now for, for with the of the alcohol you you're saying? Uh, just over three years. Yeah, and, and so in terms of your life, because obviously we get on the fitness and, and yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, what. Were you generally quite fit before, or was that just something that you picked up as you got into the transitions? Yeah, it's it slipped a bit after uni. Um, you know, I I played football to a to an okay standard. Um, football was just all I'd done. Um, I think like a lot of kids of 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 my generation, you know, I'm am I technically a millennial? Um, I think I think I'm technically a millennial. But you know, we we were we were a generation that had the internet, but it was too expensive that we were lived on it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you know, I had a smartphone, I had the internet, but uh, there's no way I was sitting on that for eight hours a day. That wasn't flying. So basically, all I did as a kid was was, was play football. Still, so it's it still very much sport was was just what I'd done. It was how I identified. It was what my mates did, etc. So I was quite fit played football to a to a decent enough level uh went to uni played played through uni played at mural football um and then covid killed it for me really um it never it, it never kind of bounced back but what i what i um i effectively use sport as a vessel for drinking a lot of this comes back to drinking to me sevens was great fun but it was also an excuse to go to the pub afterwards right um you know going to watch celtic was brilliant was also an excuse for, for a day out on a drink you know i've big barca fan you know, I've been to some of Barca's most historic games and don't remember them. Only when I was there, I've got pictures on my phone. I've been there. You know, I remember. It might not mean much to to anyone who isn't a Barcelona fan, but Pep Guardiola's last last home game, a derby against Espanyol. Espanyol and Barcelona utterly detest each other. People think Madrid is the derby. It's not. Barcelona and Espanyol despise each other. We beat them four 0 I know that retrospectively. Messi scored four. I know that retrospectively. There was a big speech. I know that retrospectively. I don't remember any of it. And so sport was a sport was a kind of a means to have a bit of crack and a means to have a to have a drink. Um so then I'm so my fitness slipped. And I think that's the biggest challenge actually with all of all the changes I've made. The biggest challenge is the fact that my social circle went with it. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that person that says, yeah, I just did this and it worked. I did that and it worked. Like, thankfully, I didn't have, to your point about lapses and relapses, I didn't have any of that. But what I did have was a big period of loneliness because right. my identity was based around, I played football, I went to gigs and I went for a drink. It's where I met my missus. It's where I met most of my mates because I'm not from here originally. I'd made mates working through, working ahead of steam, working behind the bar. Um, and sport was part of that. You know, there was, there was a, a game of football used to have regularly. So it was a lot of, a lot of the local musicians um you know a lot of the kind of the 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 uh, tiny tees news at six music acts that you'll see talking about them you know a lot of us used to get together i wasn't one of them very musically uh, non-talented um but we would play we would play football um and and that went and so i was like what do i do so i kissed a few frogs for a little while fitness wise well i got fat for a little bit fat and unfit and just said oh it is what it is got a kid now married now i've got other responsibilities and then kissed a few frogs and then found crossfit thankfully when i just said you know it's all part of the process i i don't want to be i don't again i'm probably being very repetitive here but i'm not sure that's a good or a bad thing but i didn't want jacob thinking dad wasn't someone that played with him dad couldn't run around dad couldn't climb dad couldn't get up dad was always tired dad was wheezing dad couldn't lift that dad couldn't carry him my my jacob was obsessed with carries still is really but now it's like instead of like carry me up the hill it's like well, why don't you be this person? I'll just dive on you and you can pick me up and throw me around. You know, it's it, it, it's it's evolved, but the principle's still the same. And I just said, I don't want to be that person. I don't ever really remember playing with my dad. I don't ever remember him picking me up. I'm sure he must have done. But I say, so yeah, it was part of that same conversation really. And then I found CrossFit and my big thing was, I need to find something that is who I am, not what I do. I don't enjoy the gym personally. Yeah. I, I find it a little bit uh, baseless. Um, I wanted to feel part of something. I almost wanted a badge to wear, so I explained it to someone. I wanted to, you know, when I played football, I would be that person at uni or that you'd see on the high street walking down and they'd have like their training shirt on with their initials on. Okay. I'd be that person because I, I like to feel part of something. And so I needed to find something that was that was bigger than just exercise, even though I've realized through, through my mental health, um, exercise is the key to my mental health. Working from home, mm. um, you know, 24 hours in my house for days on end at times 
it just sent me to the floor with my mental health and I've realized that exercise is actually the crux of my of my happiness right yeah brilliant and you mentioned something so I, I mean I totally get the, the the exercise and physical activity it has such a massive profound effect on your your on your on your mental health and we've got to find out what works for each of us 100%. you mentioned the loneliness thing and I can resonate with that I think a lot of people do um and particularly over the last few years let's be right you know it's had a, a big impact on lots of our social circles yeah, but if you're making a big change like you did and that could be stop drinking or could be change of career or move to a new area yeah. that sense of loneliness I think is really important to highlight because sometimes for the good of the longer term journey we make some tough decisions that can lead to a lot of a particular amount of pain yeah. in the and loneliness is a very painful state to be you know yeah. I mean I'm sure more and more research will come out after the lockdown but you know it's well known that it's it's not great for our health hazardous yeah. stuff in terms of it so I think you're right loneliness and that social isolation and then shifting that identity is is a really important part of it so you I like that phrase kissed a few frogs because I think that's we've got to test we've got to try we've got to find something but you've got to recognize where you're at as well haven't you that, yeah that actually this 100%. is 100 and where I really struggled and again like my my wife is incredible like she is the most supportive partner I could ever have wished for to, to go through life with. She's incredible. She is a wonderful, wonderful person. But the struggle I had initially, and, you know, we've had this chat many times since is that, so my job, I speak to people sometimes seven hours a day at work, but I'm speaking to them through a screen. It's very different. And she'll say, oh, you, you know, but you spend all day talking to people. I say, no, I don't. I talk to a computer. And I think for anyone who's in a, a forward-facing role, that that's the trap, in my opinion, which is I didn't need to be speaking to people. I needed to be, I needed to be with people. But I didn't need to be with people in a social setting necessarily. I didn't need to be doing fun things. I just needed to feel that there was more to life than just yeah. me sitting in my conservatory. And so what I really thrive on with the fitness side of things is that, and I said this so. Mick and John Lee, who um, I know you've, you know, you've, you've spoken to them and they're just, they're just great people is when I went to, when I started CrossFit, and I think this would apply to anyone who, who, who has a hobby that they're getting into is I kind of set my stall out early and I said, I'm not looking for best friends. I'm looking for people to say, hi, mate, how are you doing? Yeah. And I needed to be away from being an employee and a dad and a husband. Cause I feel like that's kind of where I got to with my loneliness mm. is that I felt like I was a good employee. I feel like I was a great dad. I feel like I'm a great husband, which are the, the big ticket items, right? So if I, if I break down my priorities, they're the three things that I would say it's them, it's them. And what I realized is that they became to the detriment of me. Yeah. And yeah. it's not selfish to say three hours a week. I, I don't want to do those things. Mm. Now, what I would have done in the past is that one, it wouldn't have been three hours a week. It would have been a night out which would have been what, seven hours, 10 hours, 11 hours, who knows, part of the problem is I never know when, I never would have been able to tell you when it would end. And then it would be detrimental. So I was like, right, what, I need three hours, four hours, five hours, where I can go and do something that isn't detrimental to my life, that doesn't just take a sledgehammer to all the good I've done in the time mm -hmm. I'm doing that. So I don't, my thing that I do for me has to complement what I do at, at home and at work. And so I said, I need that. I said that to the coaches. I need to get on terms with people where they say, hi, mate. Like, it's the one forum where I don't need people to know that I've got a missus and a kid and what Jacob's been doing at school and I don't know how Kelly's driving lessons are going. I don't need that. I need someone that I can go, did you watch the football last night? Are your legs sore from yesterday? Yeah, and we've yeah. got five minutes before we start and there might be five minutes at the end and there might be 30 second gaps in between doing stuff. And I feel like I'm me for a bit. Yeah. And so it was that. So yes, it's the physical exercise I've realized because a lot of that comes down to self-esteem. If I, again, if I break it down, self-esteem, learning new things, there's something quite nice about moving heavy weights or hitting a punch bag or kicking a football or seeing how fast you can get up a big climb on a bike. But then there's also the crack and the camaraderie and, you know, catching, catching eyes with someone while you're both struggling through a workout. And then the fist bump at the end, it says, we got through this together, even if we never said a word to each other, we got through this together and there's something kind of carnal and tribal about that, I think. And I just lost that out of my life. I just became a, I became everything that I didn't want to be, which is someone that sat in a room on my own talking to technology.
Yeah. I think that's a really good and important point to make. It's connection. Yeah. That and connection. Yeah. For me, you can. You, we need. I, I, I've got a metaphor of a jumbo jet with four different engines or four connections. Yeah. You know, you need the close intimate en engine, the close relationships. Yeah. You need your wider circle of family and friends. Then you need your people you knock about with, people you see at work, people you yeah. see. At some of them you don't like, but they remind you you're human. You know those kinds of things. But you're right; it's connection and shared experience. There's something really, really powerful. The fourth engine, yeah. by the way, is professional support, like counselling, therapy. Yeah. But anyway, the point of that is that that is one of the things that was taken away a lot through the lockdown, and yeah. I, it, it's had an impact on people, and probably is still having residual impact on a lot of people as they try to get back to it. So for me, uh, I mean, I'm conscious of time because we we could talk all day on this. I've yeah, brilliant conversation. But I think some brilliant things there, and I think that last one in particular, building community, building some connection, and recognizing that we need different stuff, but we also need it for us because yeah. we can play roles and we get lost in those roles as partner, professional, parent, whatever. Mm -hmm. We need to take a little bit for ourselves, and that's part of that journey, I think. That's yeah. Brilliant. The the other thing that was far more important than I realized is that when I joined CrossFit, I joined as Craig who doesn't drink. Right. Yes. Yes. Whereas everything else that I'd done, people knew me from when I'd have a pint. So I, you know, when we went for our Christmas night, for example, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing because no one's seen me drink alcohol. Whereas if I go and see my mates, if I'm at weddings and christenings and whatever, it's like, it's still a case of, Oh no, I'm, are you still not drinking? No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so where, where to me, it's, I, I'm a non-drinker. I'm not not drinking. I'm an I'm teetotal, yes. and so that was the other big thing. So again, if anyone is thinking of making these changes, you know, I, I completely agree with when you said, you know, there, there will have to be some difficult decisions. The first supporters bus to a football game when you're on a bus at six a.m. and you know you're not getting back until eleven o'clock, and by the time that you get back on the bus, everyone's going to be absolutely steaming. You know, my first my first supporters bus trip was to a Celtic Rangers game. <laughs> oh, I mean, talk about baptism of fire. So yeah, there will be difficult decisions. Uh, you know, if I was to, if I was to start dishing out advice here, which you know I'm hoping I'm not coming across as too kind of uh, preachy, but I would say if you can go and find a setting where you are that new person, if you've got support at home, which is crucial, if you can go and find a setting where you you are that new person, then you don't you avoid a lot of the pressure. Whereas my my first few months, work nights out. Friday after after we finished, even informal stuff, you know, um, you know, if, if we ever got together and went for a little bit of ad hoc lunch, it was still people going, "Do you want a beer? I've bought you a beer." You know, I'm really sorry, mate. I'm not going to drink that. And then you're you're an in kind of northern waste, not want not mentality kicks in. You're like, "Oh, but someone's spent three quid on that, and I don't want to waste a pint." Whereas when I formed that new social circle, no one knows old Craig. Yes. No one knows the baggage that I bring with me. They just know new me who's in a relatively good place in life, who's happy, who's living the life he now wants to live. And so, you know, if anyone from the box listens to this, who, who knows me, they might be like, oh, I didn't realise that. And that's exactly where I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is a really, that's probably the best place to leave it as well, because I think that's it, not advice, that's insight. And I think there's a real, there's a massive point there because it is about identity as much as about the habitual framework that we have in our mm -hmm. lives it's who we are and that challenge and that friction between the two can cause a lot of us to slip off and slide and, and have yeah. some downs. as you said you had a painful few months so I, I love that idea of where can I be the person I want to be right now where is that environment that's a really really insightful uh, observation so thank you for that Craig Pleasure. Uh, it's been brilliant and uh, again we could we could talk a lot longer <laughs> But thank you for sharing um, so much, um, including the, 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 your experiences and your story, because for me, this is about bringing to life the midlife experience, you know, across the range mm -hmm. to sort of give people that insight that actually where they connect to, and hope that they can change and that, you know what, it's an adventure. Let's enjoy the adventure and it can get better. So thank you for your, your time. I don't know if, um, you know, I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you want anybody to contact you or connect with you, um, I will put some contact details in short. Yeah, amazing. Anything you want to shout out now, please do. Don't worry if, if it's something that you're not, because I know you're not selling anything per se, you're sharing a story. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, um, yeah, from from certainly from a sales perspective, what I'm selling, most people probably have no intention of buying. So you're right, I am not unless unless someone happens to be CEO of a bank that wants a multi multi geography business transformation, hit me up. And um, but yeah, no, uh, I guess if anyone wants to get in contact with me, like I'm more than happy for you to share my my email address. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Um, 
benefits of a name you'll, you'll attest to this pretty yeah. easy to find um but I, I genuinely love i love sharing my story because um i feel like i went my journey alone a little bit i, I you know podcasts like yours i guess stories like mine of people making change um when you hear it from the horse's mouth warts and all i think it's mega powerful so yeah more than happy for people to get in contact brilliant well thank you thanks for your time and thanks for sharing craig it's been Pleasure. great and no doubt we'll see you in the box at some point. And thanks yeah. for all that for the competition. It was great to see you there. The you, did, you did amazingly well. Inspiring. <laughs> cheers, cheers, mate. Thank you. And thanks, listeners. If there's any thoughts or feedback or questions, um, as I say, Craig's contact details will be in show notes. But uh, you can also drop me a line at Dave at Restless Midlife. Uh, answer any, ask, answer any, ask any questions. Sorry, give any feedback, or I can connect you up with Craig as well if that's uh, what you're after. But thank you, and we'll catch you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget, you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.